Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Game Over Winnipeg. Oh my goodness. I hope for the sake of every god, every everything that my audio is working, that my tech is working, that everything is working. This is my first Game Over <laughs> of the year. Um, Nick, how are you doing today? Good. How did I get the, the special night of being your partner on your opening night? Like, what's going on there? I don't know. I guess I uh, just the 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 stars aligned and we were ready to go on this one. Brady's been holding down the fort and uh, he was actually at the game tonight, um, just like you were. Um, so I guess that's yeah. not an excuse not to join me. Um, but before we do get started, I just want to you know uh, say hello to everybody that's here watching live in the chat or anyone listening back. Um, I swear I'm not some random stepfather filling in for Brady. I am supposed to be here. I am one of your regular hosts here at Game <laughs> Over. I've been out of town for a little bit for school, but I am back uh, and ready to go. So Brady and I will be with you for all 82 games this year. Um, my name is Liz, by the way. I definitely forgot to say that. If you're here last year, I'm sure you know me by now, but uh, for those of you who don't, uh, massive Jets fan from the Winnipeg area, and I've been doing it over for about a year now, so um, this is my second season with the team. It was really fun last year and ready to kind of pick up uh, where we started slash left off last year. Uh, Nick, can you tell everyone a little bit about yourself before we jump into the show today? Yeah, Nick Lynham. Uh, I host a podcast or multiple podcasts, I guess, under Top Line Media, uh, Big Jets guy. We also cover the Leafs, Oilers, Canucks, and do some general hockey talk. You know, just love the game. Just love being around the sport. Figured why not try podcasting around it. And here I am getting to talk to you. Pretty sure everyone knows you, Liz. Come on. Come on. No need to be humble. <laughs> well, I'm glad to have everyone here, whether you whether you know me or don't. But uh, we're going we're gonna to dive into this game. And like I mentioned, Nick was at the game today. So before we talk into the specifics of the On Ice product, Come on, Jets fans, we got to talk about the off-ice product a little bit. Last game, the Winnipeg Jets, the return of Pierre-Luc Dubois was the least attended Winnipeg Jets game not in a COVID season since the return in 2011, which is setting off some fire alarms for a couple people. Um, tonight, I believe the attendance was a scooch better, but not a ton. Uh, Nick, what, what was it like in there? So, yeah, I was at both games this week, actually, and I felt this one, the lower bowl, was a bit more... A uh, bit more people in the lower bowl, but the uh, the upper deck was uh, pretty vacant, or there were some very sparse areas. But I'll say this: when when the crowd got into it, it was it was pretty loud in there, especially in that third period when the team was kind of pressing. Um, I don't know. I had a great time there at the arena today. I must say. Yeah, I was going to say, you could definitely hear. Uh, I found that the chants and, and whatnot were pretty engaging. Some good booze, some good refuse sucks, you know, some some real excitement when we saw some good pressure down in the offensive zone and everything. So, um, mm-hmm. I don't know. It didn't it didn't feel as empty as maybe the numbers show. Yeah, I'm surprised by the number, actually. I, uh, I, I hadn't seen it yet. I had kind of raced over, grabbed an Uber quick, and uh, didn't check out that. So, that was interesting because I definitely thought there was a bit more than that today. Well, as long as those of them who are there are uh, engaged and ready to go, I kind of went on a Twitter rant yesterday talking about how I think that there there's some things that need to change <laughs> for this team. People um, should read that. Really good rant. Really good. I liked it. Thank it was you. good. Thank you. I, I don't don't feed into the ego because I'll start posting more 15 part <laughs> threads and I don't think anyone needs that. But uh, uh, let's talk a little bit about that on ice product that we saw tonight. So uh, Winnipeg Jets are wrapping up a 5-3 loss to the Vegas Golden Knights. First matchup mm-hmm. since they last saw each other. Um, um, in Game 5 of the first round of the Stanley Cup Final. A um, couple of notable things on that. Obviously, Vegas went on to win the Cup, and then between now and then, uh, we took their backup goaltender. So, uh, Laurent Brassois is back with the Jets, and he got the start tonight. Um, 
but yeah, I think a lot of people were ready for the Jets to kind of come out, um, you know, guns ablazing because of how last game was just a little bit of a stinker. They laid a bit of an egg and, you know, the combination of wanting to have uh, some revenge against Vegas and also wanting to just show that last game wasn't their true selves. We figured they were going to have a decent performance tonight. But uh, Nick, what did you think of them? I thought the Jets played a pretty good game today outside some very clear weaknesses out there. Second period kind of fell asleep there for a while. I thought the first period was a good back and forth period. Second period, I, I think it was kind of a sleepy period. Vegas kind of took over for a bit there, though. Nothing, I didn't think anything real quality was generated. Just being there, I could be wrong. Um, then the third period, the team really put the put the pedal down there, and unfortunate to leave that game without two points. I think we could say that about two games so far out of the four. Same kind of thing happened in Calgary. Um, overall, though, outside of the penalty kill. Um, the top line and some defensive performances I'm sure we'll get into. I thought uh, the team played fairly well. Um, they got the depth. Troops kind of rolling. I like that Lowry unit uh, quite a bit. The Ehlers Nemesikov Perfetti unit got uh, Koal on the board finally, and they looked pretty good all night. Uh, fourth line didn't do a whole lot for me, but yeah, the top line and some of those veteran defensemen um, and the penalty kill really kind of cost the team the game. Goaltending as well, honestly. We have, have we got a 900 save percentage from a goaltender yet in Winnipeg? And this was supposed to be a strength. I know it's four games in, but I, I got to ask the question at this point. Yeah, no, it's, it's giving flashes of Edmonton Oilers out here. Like, we're really not, not, we're seeing these high goals against tallies, but we're not pulling to them and getting seven goals to make up for the five we let in. So, uh, definitely a mm-hmm. couple of really, really good points in there. So, I think, uh, Let's dive into them a little bit. I want to start with looking at that top line that you mentioned, just because of the fact that we had some lineup changes between Tuesday and today. So obviously, Gabe Velarde, we found out, is going to be out for four to six weeks with, I believe, an MCL strain, not a tear. So that's really good. Um, But that's really tough news for the guy. He was really good with that top line. Um, But nevertheless... It sounds like the solution was to put Mason Appleton on the first line. Um, I... I had thoughts about that. Obviously, I didn't like it. I'll be honest with you. But in the game, I don't think I hated them as much as you did. I thought Shifley and Connor looked really interesting on a couple of different plays. And it's so funny for me to be like, it looks like there might be some chemistry there. Like, they haven't been playing on and off together for like seven years. But like, (laughs) my point still stands in the sense that I find that when they have possession on the rush and they're coming into the zone, they have a very... It's not structured because it looks different every time, but they have a very deliberate attack to the net, whereas a line like the third line, which I don't dislike at all, it's very much just you can tell it's kind of let's hound the net, let's put the puck on net, and let's kind of gather around there. It looks like there's more set strategic plays and all those things coming from the top lines, which there should be. Um, But I just think that, um, you know, Mark Shifley, when he's on, which I figured he was on for a good chunk of the night tonight, um, he's just very exciting and moves the puck really well. But I find that once they kind of lose that possession, they don't forecheck super well and they don't cycle the puck super well and just like all those other things. So the flashes looked good, but the general play, nah, I don't know. Um, what did you, th- and all that to say, Appleton was kind of invisible to me and that's not what you need on a first line. So I didn't think mm-hmm. he looked excellent or anything like that. So uh, what, dive a little bit more in for me uh, on what you thought about that first line and what they did for the game tonight. So the big thing losing Gabe Velarde is he quietly stabilized that line, especially the opposite winger there. Uh, I know the point totals look really good, but the, the, the rest of Connor, Kyle Connors' game is he needs a driver. He needs someone 
that other than just Mark Shifley to really dictate the game for him. And I, I, I wasn't a fan of him or Appleton. It felt like for me at the ring today, Mark Shifley was the best of the bunch. And every time he was kind of looking for an option, there just wasn't one. Um, I didn't like the decision to go to Mason Appleton there. We've seen it before. Haven't had great results. He just doesn't fit a top line. But at some point here, we got like we got to have a Kyle Connor conversation. I, I know me and Jordan had a debate about this this week, and I know he puts up the numbers. But without two drivers on his line, I just don't see what he's bringing other than a power play score. And it, it's awfully frustrating because this is a guy that's such a key guy for the Winnipeg Jets. And as soon as he loses that core piece on his line, I don't, I don't know, man. The, the turnovers in the D zone, how soft he is along the walls. Like it, it makes Mark Shifley's job, who I think he's had a great start, polarizing player here, but he's had a great start to the season. It just makes Mark Shifley's job that much easier trying to carry two wingers that really can't control the flow of play. It's kind of what I was seeing tonight. Yeah, no, 100%. I think, um, and, and Brady made a good comment in the chat, and um, just an FYI to everybody, we'll, we'll do a big chat dump at the end of the game and dive into any questions or thoughts that you guys have, but I do have it open in front of me, and if people are saying things that are kind of with the conversation we're going on, I'm going to bring it up. Yeah, but um, Brady mentions yeah, that Kyle Connor is useless off the puck, and I fully agree, and like you 100%. said about the, the, the drivers on the line, as soon as his line doesn't have possession... He's not doing anything to get it back. He's not doing anything to, like, you know, um, like, diffuse the situation or anything like that. So when you have those players that aren't, um, you know, possession players, or they aren't driving players, they aren't players that are able to kind of flip the game like that, um, you just mm-hmm. you lose that chunk of effectiveness from him. Because if he's 100% when he has the puck, well, you're actually only getting 30%. Because of that 70% of the time he doesn't have the puck, he's not doing anything. So it is very alarming to me. Uh, and it is the kind of thing that I think gets really put on display um, when he's put in situations where he doesn't have elite line mates. And he will probably have elite line mates for most of his prime career in Winnipeg, but we had one top six injury, one forward injury, and it caused Mason Appleton mm-hmm. to move into the top six. So if that's how volatile the situation is, whoa. <laughs> yeah, what do you think of Mason Appleton being the decision? Because it's, it, it's, I thought he played an okay, like a pretty good game on that Adam Lowry line last game. And I get rewarding, guys. I just don't see the upside there compared to some of the other options. I'm curious what your thoughts are. Yeah, so uh, I I know exactly what you mean, and I wasn't a huge fan of him tonight, but I think my thing is that I was a fan of what it did to some of the other lines. And what I mean by that yeah, is yeah, the yeah. whole Nemesnikov Ehlers piece, like I think that there's some potential there and, and moving Perfetti to the wing I don't fully agree with, but you know, maybe if that means that he's gonna have um a little bit less pressure or anything like that, sure, I don't care. But I really liked the third line. And my 100%. thing is that um, Mason Appleton, if he's a placeholder up there, he can't be a placeholder for four to six weeks, but full stop, if this team is fully healthy, I would healthy scratch him and put Velarde back up there and Ooh. leave the lines kind of how they are. Trade someone to bring in for like a Nemesnikov piece to replace in that top six there, but I really like this third line with Nino Niederreiter and Alex, Alex mm-hmm. Ayafalo on it. So I do, do think that Ayafalo was probably the choice to put onto that top um, line tonight, but I liked the way that third line looked. Yeah, when I hear that, I kind of get the Paul Maurice flashback to uh, Tucker Pullman playing next to Josh Morrissey so Dylan DeMello can carry Logan Stanley, who I'm sure we'll get into a little bit tonight. Um, I agree. The, the Larry line looked good. 
that they looked uh they did what you would expect and they added to the score sheet which i think is very important this year that the jets find a combination where that third line is scoring i just don't love the idea of the top line suffering when that's the line you're going to go to um in relation to depth units um i i don't know i didn't love it the welcome back nick Ehlers, though obviously been rusty to start the year the Nemesco Perfetti line works. Good to see Perfetti get on the board because, like you mentioned, it, it sounds like he's been putting some heavy pressure on himself behind the scenes at that center position. So maybe getting the weight off there. Uh, I'm sad. Okay, I want to hear. Let's go there. Let's go to Cole Perfetti. I'm sorry. This is your show, but I, I'm curious on your thoughts here. No, uh, no, no. Cole Perfetti move, moving off the center position here because I, I do have some thoughts on that, but I'm curious where your, where your thoughts on that line looked good tonight. I just want to, I'm curious what your thoughts are there. So it's hard because I'm someone who watches hockey in like kind of a very specific way where I watch for very specific things really often. And so it kind of clouds the way I judge certain players. And mm-hmm. Cole Perfetti is the kind of player that I love for a couple different reasons. And he shows it every single game. So it's like you're watching from your bird's eye view, right? And you have the whole view of the ice and you're sitting there with your, you know, back in your recliner eating your burger or whatever you have for dinner and you're like oh you need to pass it there because you can see all the lanes from above right and it's when you're playing Mm -hmm. on the ice it's much more difficult but Cole Perfetti feeds into my ego of being like these players can find those lanes because Cole Perfetti can find those lanes like he's very excellent at at moving those those pieces around to where they need to be um so that's one thing that I, I just love watching his puck placement I find is quite excellent so um and it's yeah so it's very pleasing to the eye in that sense and I also love watching him in board battles which is something that's like kind of crazy to say I feel like a lot of people are like what that little squirt huh but I think the fact that he's a little dude he will go into a scrum and he doesn't Adam Lowry where he just lifts the stick and puts two hands on to shove someone in the back or whatever which is what a lot of players do I find that watching him enter it or even when he's already in it the way he moves his stick to properly either move the puck out to where it needs to be or trap it so that he can like he's just so smart and deliberate with things and I feel like it manifests all the time where it Mm -hmm. misses for me is when he makes those passes and they're off because people aren't necessarily expecting them or if there's someone in the way because you can't necessarily see Mm -hmm. and all those sorts of things so they look more erroneous than they are um but also if it results in a turnover, it's a bad pass. So, like, what can you do there? Um, like I, last game. <laughs> I don't want to come up with any, like, definitive statements because, again, I also didn't watch the first two games of the season. So I've only watched yeah. the LA game and this one so far. So I don't want to say anything too, too crazy. But, like, I I still have all the faith in the world in the kid, especially as Nikolai Ehlers kind of shakes off the rust a little bit as well. And, and maybe if they get some more mm-hmm. stability on their line and who's playing where. Um, I still think there's a ton of potential there. But I'm interested, why, why'd you bring that up? What what do you think of Cole Perfetti and what did you think of him tonight? I uh, I don't love the thought process behind bumping him off center so quick. I feel like I feel like Gabe Velarde going down, we saw Rick Bonus really panic. Um the Jets have been playing pretty good hockey. If if we're gonna shit on them when the underlyings aren't good and they're winning games, they're they're controlling three of the four games so far uh, as a whole. And that Colbert Fetty line with Nino and Ehlers was out chancing teams, out expected goals, out like they were playing good hockey in limited min- minutes. It was clear Bones didn't really trust them, but yet they were putting on results. What I don't like about it, especially this early, is all camp and all like even 
Chevy kind of hinted at it in the summer that he saw Cole Perfetti as a center. Then we saw Cole Perfetti was the only guy in training camp getting those reps. We're, taught, we're, we're told that there's going to be a long leash. And then three games late, uh, into the season, the rug is pulled. And my big problem with it is if, if you think of the Jets' big picture this year, the one thing they do lack is offense in the top six, I, or maybe middle six, and they don't have a true 2C option unless Cole Perfetti pans out. This team can't go on a run as, with a guy like Vladimir Mestikov as a top six center. I like him as a depth player. You like him in a pinch, kind of helping a line out. But he's not going to be a top six center if this team wants to go to where it is. So I just don't like the rug pull so early. It feels like it feels like the city, the team, the coaching staff all got into a panic after the last game. And that's kind of my big problem with it is we're mapping out an 82-game schedule here. And it feels like the rug was pulled a little early on the Cole Perfetti experiment. Yeah, no, I 100% agree. Because when you find out a top six player um, has a long-term injury at game 78, that's when you put Vlad Nemesikov in the top six. And you're like, ah, oh, shit, like, we got to figure this out. But this early, when you have this many players that you, like, openly voiced how brokenhearted you were to have to send them down to the minors and not give them a spot on the team, like, it doesn't have to be, like, reactive, instant, oh, my gosh, and win now. Like, you have time. You have time. Mm-hmm. You have four to six weeks, actually, and that'll only take you not even into the new year, right? So they have... Lots and lots of time to figure things out. So I fully agree that the panic of moving Cole Perfetti out of the spot that you've openly said you see him in long term is just very curious because like, mm. there isn't room for Vlad Nemesnikov to grow into a top six player. You know what you're going to get with him, and I'm more mm-hmm. than happy with what they get from him. Like I, I have, This is not a Vlad Nemesnikov hate conversation on either of our no, parts. No, like, no. He's a lovely fellow who absolutely did the job that he had to do tonight and will do the job. He, he's our new, more, I don't even know, Matthew Perot, right, where it's just wherever you need to play him in a certain game, he can he can slot into that for the time being just to, you know, be a little Band-Aid for now. Um, but yeah, I, I agree with you that it just seems kind of contradictory to their whole holistic approach that they advertise to how we're going to grow this and this is going to be the solution, and then one small thing changes. Uh and you move everything to be like, like this would be a, a like Appleton in the first line and Nemestikov as the second line center would be what I would expect them to do if this lineup looked exactly as it did and they were fighting for a playoff spot or they were in the playoffs at game 78, like I said. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I, I like the idea of Nemestikov and having like a second center on that line if you're worried about supporting him. I just didn't love the idea. Uh, I'm curious because I know you want to go here. Uh, I kind of want to go here, too. I'm a big fan of the player. Rasmus Kupari. What's your early thoughts here? I know I know this was your second game watching. Um, he took a couple shifts with that Shifley line in the second period there, though it didn't last. Uh, that's kind of where I want to go with that top line, I think, in comparison to Mason Appleton. Yeah, so I, I agree because my, my first thought was, yeah, was, was I a follow? And then I was thinking Kupari because here's my thing is I am – I, I like to consider myself a realist, but I think everyone does. And I think others might consider me to be more of a pessimist than a realist. And, and I say that because <laughs> players that are on my team, I know their issues. Like, there is not a perfect player on the Winnipeg Jets, and I'm very vocal about that. So my yeah. so with Rasmus Kapari and Alex Ayafalo, I don't know them well enough yet to be like, 
this is what's wrong with them because to be honest with you mm-hmm. they're looking pretty damn good right now so I know I need some time to get to know them better as as individuals and and things like that but Rasmus Kapari looks really good like I am very very interested in this player and I think he's someone who definitely has some more potential and upside than some of the other options like Nemesnikov or Appleton up there and I I don't know what his history has been I don't know what kind of role player he's sort of been on previous teams whether it be in the minors or juniors or the NHL whatever so I don't know if that's the play but from my super educated two game sample that I've seen from him he seems <laughs> like an interesting fit that could work there as a temporary solution slash experiment yeah just the the speed elements he brings there um it just seems like he can open up some space for those other two uh being the first guy on the four check creating turnovers and for a guy that's been limited in his NHL role Got some offensive patience. And I'm just wondering with that line and those two being able to get open, if if that's not a better fit. Uh, Mason Appleton, like I kind of mentioned coming in, I thought he's had a decent start to the season compared to – there's a lot of criticism of him, and I get it. I've been very critical of Mason Appleton. He is what he is. He's, he's a he's a ideally on a contender, a fourth-line right winger. You could trust him. He's going to kill penalties for you. He's going he's gonna to be effective. He's just not going to score you goals. And I just, that's, that's one tweak I'd like to kind of see, I think, um, with this current lineup. And, and you know, on that fourth line, you have a guy like David Gustafson, who now has to get into the lineup, who we know is a better center than a winger based on last year and his time in the AHL. I just wonder if there's, there's a better fit to, to kind of tweak the first line and the fourth line and see if you can kind of keep the middle six intact. And that's kind of where I'd want to go with it, I think. Yeah, no, I, I 100% agree. And it'll be really interesting to sort of see. Um, if they make any changes ahead of next game um, against the Oilers on Saturday. But um, I think, all things considered, the forward core, not my biggest concern with this hockey team right now. Oh, so, yeah. so let's open the can of worms, Nick. Um, did you like any of the Winnipeg Jets defensemen tonight? For for moments. <laughs> for, for, for specific moments. And then there was a lot of the what I'm going to term as the big mistakes from a lot of the guys. Um, Nate Schmidt wore the healthy scratch based on his couple big mistakes and he's he's had a tough time but I'm not even convinced he's the worst guy left on this decor uh, at some point we're going to have to have a is Brendan Dylan Walsh conversation I think because I know what he brings and last year I know it was, a, it, it was an early it took him a while last year to kind of get into it but he looks a second slower the decision making isn't there. Pairing him with Neil Pionk just it's not good. I thought Dylan Sandberg had a nice bounce back. I thought he kind of struggled with the puck on Tuesday's game. I thought he had a fairly decent uh bounce back. You see the games from Morrissey and DeMello where they kinda of get a little risky in their game and you see it kind of go back the other way. It's still not a pairing. I'm overly worried about, but the big money guys at the bottom and Nate Schmidt, Neil Pionk and Brandon Dillon just Flat out have to be upgraded on. And I don't think this is a new conversation. This is something we've been talking about for well over a year. And especially if you have this four group who we think you're going to get different guys contributing every night. You have the depth. You got to let this group you put together up front cook a little here and get them some help on the back end. Moving the puck out has been a struggle. Um, they don't handle pressure well, which against a team like Vegas, you see that exposed early on to create some mistakes, have some goals against. Uh, that is 
still that was my biggest concern coming into the year. It's a glaring concern right now, four games in, just because I feel that group has cost the team points with some glaring mistakes outside of again the goaltending being under a nine hundred early on. Yeah, no, and and I almost want to not not argue with that, but say that my bigger concern is almost less about the glaring errors because I do agree that there have been um, some some issues with some of those, but this forward core. Um, you get what you get with them sort of thing, and they struggle um, when they don't have clear possession uh, on the exit. Mm-hmm. They, they really do. They don't dump properly. They don't collapse properly. They don't have a lot of control. But I, I'm sure that's not unique to the Winnipeg Jets. A lot of people, like, it's kind of a an obvious thing to say, hey, this team performs better when they have control of the puck. Like, obviously they do, but they just struggle to sort of, like, they're, they're not a Carolina that, you know, four checks and pressures and all those kinds of things. Like, they they need that controlled exit. Um, We saw that some mm-hmm. of the players, like Kyle Connor, like, controlled entries looked a little bit better to me tonight. I, I thought I liked some of the things that I saw from them, but those control exits, I think, as a collective, um, were one of the reasons the Winnipeg Terrible. Jets struggled. Like, it, it was bad, and that that's not only on the defensemen, it's on the forwards in there, too, but, sure. yeah, those, those defense defensemen they're yeah it's tough and it's so funny like Josh Morrissey um again yeah like like you said like least of my concerns with with that group like he's definitely not the same player he was last year but nor am I expecting him to be he looks fine but he's so funny because he skates so beautifully that it's like anything that he does even if he screws up so horrifically it's like but it still looks nice like he's just such a funny player like that so he'll do things occasionally and like it's it's harder for me to be like oh that was a bad play because I was like hey look good doing it sort of thing um Neil Pionk does not have that luxury as an awkward looking skater even when he makes nice Mm -hmm. plays he had one like clear today that was so nice he put his stick in just the perfect spot to kind of block a pass to a guy coming in front I was like oh yes but I was like why did it look weird though like it's just yep. so poor Neil Pionk but no I fully agree that with the direction that this team has gone with um obviously that that identical contract signing like this team wants to win hockey games and this team wants to win the Stanley Cup this year right like this is this is what the direction is that they've chosen to go in and none of these players are doing enough for me to be in the roles that they're in like Josh Morrissey again not the most of my worries but he's not a 1A defenseman on a Stanley Cup hockey team Brendan Dillon is not a second pairing defenseman on a Stanley Cup hockey team interesting well, sorry, okay. I just mean the way that he's played in the 30 minutes that I've watched him play. Like, I, again, I, I fully think he's fine. Like, I, I feel like I'm talking yeah. about him way more than I need to be because the concern, yeah, is more on the Brendan Dillon, Nate Schmidt, whatever piece where those players, for the cap efficiency, for the roles and matchups that they're going to get with teams that have more depth and stuff like that, like, I just, I'm worried, man. I'm worried. Oh, yeah. It's, it's definitely the kind of decor and that can sink a team. Like they, it's the type of decor with those big mistakes, with the lack of puck movement, that you need elite goaltending. And, we, and we've known that for some time, to be quite frank. This is the same decor we've seen since Chevy's summer of 21, which is looking like a disaster class, if we're being completely honest. With We're talking $16 million for those three guys we mentioned. Never mind the, can I say the word, bust? Uh, former first-rounder Logan Stanley checked in, takes a stupid penalty with a high stick, and the pow- penalty kill. Vegas went two for two tonight. Yeah, that, 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 that was one of the strengths of the Winnipeg Jets last year. Um, so, yeah, I just I, – I do – there's a lot of concerns with that D4. I don't know how you address it early in the season. We've seen, like, forwards become available on the market. Uh, D typically costs more at the deadline, too. But if this team wants to be serious, they need not even just a depth defender like Chevy's gone out and gets. They need a real impact guy 
that could stabilize a full pairing at this point because out of that $16 million, you're just, you're not getting it. Do yeah. we, do we see Declan Chisholm soon? Well, that that's my thing. And I think in my opinion, I don't think Nate Schmidt, and again, I need to stop saying things like I've watched all of these games so far, but my take is based on like just everything from the conversations around camp and all those sorts of things. Like I genuinely believe that before the season even started, Rick Bonus circled like game four, game five on his calendar and was like, this is the game that we're going to slide someone out to put in one of these box guys because we need to get, you know, keep them fresh, get them, get them into a game to sort of start off the year. Like I, I feel like there was always a plan to try and slide in a Stanley or Chisholm nice and early. Um, just, yeah, to get them reps and all those kinds of things. And we knew we were going to see that, especially if Hanala hadn't gotten hurt because he was probably going to get, if not a roster spot, be flipping back and forth um, every night to sort of Pain. get him in there and things like that. So I feel like that was always in the cards. So they're they're just sort of keeping keeping on ahead with that. But I think, so that that's all to say, I think even if it weren't for performance issues, I think we would see Declan Chisholm soon. But I think there's nothing really keeping any of these, you know, bottom four guys in the lineup right now um, to the point where they couldn't be brought out for a game to give Chisholm a chance. So I don't think it happens on Saturday. Uh, I think they, they either keep Stanley in or revert to, to the Nate Schmidt. I don't think they throw Chisholm to the Wolves against the Oilers, but um, what is it, like Tuesday against the Blues or some snooze fest like that? Yeah. I, I wouldn't be surprised if, if they throw him into that. I, I like that you called them a bottom four because that's what I started going with too. This team has a top pair. You, you hear teams talk about top fours. The Winnipeg Jets don't have a top four. They have a top pair and a bottom four right now. And it is a struggle. Um, what, what really bothered me, I think, tonight, today about, you know, Declan Chisholm versus Logan Stanley, I think it was obvious that Bones was going to go to Stanley. But for years, we had always heard the thing that was holding back a Billy Hanla from getting into the lineup. We heard it under Paul Maurice, and we heard it under Rick Bonus was they had three puck movers in the lineup, and they had three defensive guys. And the guys that were deemed puck movers, even though they are not good at doing the skill, were Neil Pionk and Nate Schmidt. Obviously, I think uh, Morrissey's in a category of his own. We're not going to even bring that up, but so you, you remove a puck mover, and that's already your team's weakest probably point back there. And you bring in a Logan Stanley who can only move the puck when there's no pressure on him, which doesn't exist against the Las Vegas Golden Knights team that we know loves to get in on the forecheck, loves to wreak it, loves to have a high guy too waiting to kind of turn over something, get on mistakes, and... It just goes against everything they said has been holding back one player to favor again a situation that doesn't make any sense. You you made yourself worse at the skill set by going that direction, and Nate Smith deserves a seat. If if you were going to sit someone, go ahead. But so does a couple others, and I don't know. I just would have liked to see. I think we're going to see the same defensive struggles early from a Declan Chisholm. But we, you, you mentioned it best is when, when the forwards have those clean exits and they're able to transition, that's when they're at their best. And Declan Chisholm gives you the absolute best chance to do that, both with his passing, but his skating too. You want to talk about pretty skaters. Declan Chisholm, I love to watch skate up uh, south of the north. So that was baffling to me. Blowing up the whole forward group was pretty baffling to me based on one injury. It just feels like everything right now is in panic mode and just not adding up. And yet they played a strong... The third period was so good that it's like, where do you go from here? Yeah, no, I, I 100% agree. And again, yeah, like 
it's game four of the season. Like the yeah, I, I fully know. agree that just kind of across the board, like all those changes, the yeah, the Stanley insertion, the the LB, which again, I fully think they should have played him regardless. You know, like all these kinds mm-hmm. of things. It just seems all of the roster changes that happened all right now. It's like oh, okay, whoa, like let let's let's relax here for a second. And I I think yeah, like the. The pieces that I'm most worried about, though, with the whole, like, with roster changes and all those kinds of things are the fact that I just don't think the management or coaching group will perceive someone, particularly that second pairing, either Brendan Dillon or Neil Pionk, as detrimental enough to this team to be like, we're trading them. They're the kinds of guys that they would want to trade for. I wonder. You know? I oh, if, if they're targeting those type of guys, just can Chevy today, like that would be ter- horrendous. I, I do wonder. I do like, and this is probably me just being wishful thinking, but I do wonder about with the attendance issue, um, how much money Neil Pionk is being paid in real money. If they do, when Billy Hanla is healthy, if that does become an option, that is something I do wonder about. To be honest, and that's probably actually- me being hopeful. I do, I do, just because Interesting. I think I think at some point, and I don't think people are ready for it, but at some point we're going to have a conversation about uh, the cap, but also the real dollars spent here, if the crowds are going to keep being this small. Mm-hmm. And Neil Pionk is a guy that gets paid more real dollars than his cap hit. And I think that's going to come into play, though that does make him an unattractive trade chip like an H. Schmidt. But it, it is something I do wonder about if – if the off-ice dynamic and the on-ice dynamic continue on this trend, I do genuinely think it's more in play when this team's healthy than I think most people would. Very interesting. I feel like, like definitely sit on that and don't forget it, because I'll be very interested to see how things kind of, yeah, play out when Billy Hanola comes back, because you're right, like, it was just kind of the quote-unquote obvious choice out of camp, like, if Nate Schmidt, you know, puck mover on the bottom pair, um, doesn't, you know, have certain qualities, keep him in the lineup, Billy, you know, all those things, it just kind of made sense, but if you're looking at a more long-term strategic play, maybe that's the swap out, um, and, it, and it's interesting to me, and I also, I always feel like, I, I, Maybe it's just a suspicion, but I think the Jets also think about trade returns a lot more, um, you know, and at 100%. the end of the day, Neil Pionk, it's, it is if you, you kind of say he's a wash, whatever, it's okay, we lost Jacob Truba for what? Like, Billy Hanela, cool. Like, that's, you know, so I, I always worry that there's that piece, and maybe it's just because I'm so biased about how they perceive first-rounders that I feel like initial asset matters more to them than what the real asset is in the current time. Um, so I, I don't know if they'll do that, but I think... That's interesting. I, I'm I'm interested. Um, we are almost mm-hmm. wrapping up with the the time frame of the show here, so we're gonna get into chat question time. I've thrown it into the chat uh, for individuals to um, start asking questions. Um, someone in the chat says, first question, uh, Nick, is that a Truba jersey hanging behind you on the wall? I don't know if this is like a lore thing, or is there any reason for him to believe? Oh, oh I, is there an eight? It's definitely a. It, it's definitely a lore thing because I was a big Truba guy. I, it, uh, I think it's a Toby Enstrom, actually, if you really want no some way. lore. No way. That's I way think better. it might be. Oh, yeah, it's a Toby jersey. We got, the, we got the Jets' best defensive defenseman sitting behind us right now. Could use a guy like that right now, puck moving, moving the puck out. Unfortunately, not a Truba jersey. I never did buy a Truba jersey, but I know at the time I was a big Truba supporter, and I'm guessing that's uh, probably one of 
Probably one of the Facebook groups I'm in is asking that. I would I would take a take a stab at. <laughs> no, honestly, Jacob Truba was a freaking good defenseman. So I feel like it's not a crazy take to have at all to be a big Jacob Truba supporter. And I feel like he's the kind of guy you'd still want to have on your team. He just makes a lot of money, and you know, congrats to the yeah. boy or whatever. But uh, um, Jeff says I saw some more that the Jets were out in the Connor Garland sweepstakes. But if they were still in, mm-hmm. pull the trigger and for who? So maybe I'm just behind uh when when was it announced that they were out on that conversation was that today okay so i have a theory on this one and it okay. relates to my neil Pyong theory too so elliot freeman went on one of the vancouver radio shows and obviously that garland's the hot topic in vancouver and he elliot was convinced that garland made sense makes sense of lardy injury plus my opinion going in the jets still needed one more top nine Scoring forward to kind of replace Appleton, bump him down. Agreed. Um, Elliot's quote, I believe, was he got a call and says, okay, tone that down a little bit. Winnipeg can't do that. And I think it's because if you look at Connor Garland's contract, uh, on the cap, he's a $4.95 million player. Vancouver is willing to eat upwards of 30%. But if you look at the real dollars, he is guaranteed $6 million per year for the next three years. And given the big conversation we're having about attendance, I think that is why the Winnipeg Jets are out now because those real dollars are going to add up over the course of the year. It, it would have been a tough trade to work from a cap perspective and still bank cap to fix this decor we just spent like 10 minutes talking about. So I think that's part of the dynamic, but I do think this might have been a money thing that's kind of keeping them away from Connor Garland, who, if anyone listens to me, knows I love the guys. So a little disappointing, but that's my theory on based on Elliot's phrasing of it. Interesting. That's really interesting because I think that's something that people often forget about is the whole signing oh, bonus, yeah. real dollar, all these different kinds of things with the cap hit. Like, and even even things as simple as like the the amount being paid in that year, right? Because the cap hit. Sometimes we think that a a seven million dollar player. Um, is making $7 million for all seven years of the contract when sometimes it's 10 and then it's three and then it's all over the place. Like there's a, there's a lot of stipulations within that cap. Piece. For sure. So that's a really interesting point. Um, and I think that's, I think, I think we're going to, as a market, if the crowds keep going that way, we might start having to look at player values kind of like the Arizona Coyotes do in the sense that real dollars is going to matter more than cap, I think. Interesting. I, I feel like that's a very, very good theory with this whole, and also just the, the I don't want to say stingy. Stingy's not fair. We're not going to say stingy, but yeah, um, of the organization, I think it, it's a very real and frankly, like a fiscally responsible thing to to care about the specific actual real millions coming out of, of your organization's, not cap hit. I was about to say cap hit. What do you, bank account? I don't even know. I don't know how to speak in non-sports terms. Um, Let's say bank account. Bank account. Bank account. Um, question here from Rahul. Um, he says, how much is it goaltending versus defense from your point of view? And I'll start with that where I think uh, if you want to look at isolated losses right now, um, I'd say honestly even split like I think there's been some definite issues on on both of them but I think as far as like long-term concerns uh definitely more on the defense end for me um Connor Hellebuck is Connor Hellebuck Mm -hmm. I think he's gonna figure himself out um Braswell was fine tonight and I think he'll get a little bit better as the season goes on both of those goalies I don't think have performed nearly up to what we think they're capable of whereas the defense I feel like we're seeing what we get with them um and also like it's a worry 
in several players within that decor. So the fact that there's so many people mm-hmm. I'm worried about, I to me, it skews more towards I'm more worried about the defense. What about you, Nick? Yeah, I do think it's a bit of both early on. Uh, I keep referencing the big mistake, and often when there is a big mistake like that, players are either transitioning elsewhere and it, it creates an odd man dynamic. That is hard to defend after that big mistake. Though I think we've seen some goals that both goaltenders would want back uh, over the course of the year so far. Um, But like you, I'm not as concerned with goaltending. Both guys have a track record of being very good at their position. Um, But we also, going into this game, we were one of the only, what was it, four teams that didn't have a quality start out of a goaltender. We definitely did not get one tonight. So it does reflect on needing that big save every now and then. But yeah, like you, I'm I'm much more worried about the defensive play in front of it than the goaltending being sub 900 for the rest of the year. 100%. Yeah, I think some of those outliers are even themselves out, but some of them may not. So uh, that kind of wraps up our show for the evening. We're um, rocking on the 40-minute mark, which is kind of what we like to do for Game Overs. It's our kind of sweet spot there. Not too long, not too short. Uh, For those of you who are live in the chat right now, thank you so much for being here, for being live. For those of you listening uh, back tomorrow morning on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your shows, thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, I think kind of my general conclusions on that game were that Um, I have worries with this team, don't get me wrong, like, I think that there are certain things that we've addressed tonight, but, um, watching a revived Mark Shifley, um, you know, have fun in the offensive zone, watching Alex Ayafalo absolutely rip a couple goals home, like, I, Mm -hmm. I, there were things to be excited about tonight, and I think this team is trending in the right direction in a couple of different areas, so I'm interested to see how we can sort of move the pieces around in those areas that aren't trending in that same direction to sort of support where that growth is. Yeah, through four games, honestly, the way they played, they probably should be three and one. I think that's a positive. Obviously, looking at the one and three is tough, but I think I think they're trending in the right direction as well. I think this starts better than probably the record indicates. Uh, some things to clean up, but uh, there is a lot to like with this Winnipeg Jets group. And yeah, I agree with you there. So. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining me tonight, Nick. I will be back here on Saturday. We are having another game over head-to-head. It's my first one of the season. I'm very excited. We're playing the Oilers, so we're doing a little collaboration. So it's going to be myself and Zach um, talking about that game. Uh, Hopefully, I want to say, did the Oilers lay another egg tonight? I feel like they did. They were losing to the Flyers last time I checked. Did that? Uh, they were losing four one last I looked, so I, oh, I don't yeah. think they were coming back from that one. So it sounds like uh, both of us are going to be hoping for for the best from our teams on that one. So it should be a good show. So I hope to see you all there, um, Nick. Before we sign off, where can uh, where can everyone find you, and what can they expect from you uh, for the next couple weeks and for the rest of the season? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter where I'm awfully annoying at at Nick Lynam, um, tweeting jet stuff all the time. A little controversial at times. Also, make sure to check out the podcast Top Line Media. Uh, line with L-Y-N-E. We cover the Jets once a week, cover the Oilers, the Leafs, the Canucks, and we do a general one with all the co-hosts involved that's uh, more just hockey talk, some fun and games. So, you know, make sure you check that that stuff out. Uh, we're having a lot of fun with it. It's allowed me to do some great stuff like uh, jump on with Liz here. And yeah, we're really enjoying it. Make sure you check that out. Yeah, 100%. And uh, also, Vegas game tonight. Uh, Nick did an awesome interview with Keegan Colasar this summer. Um, yeah. Loser, won tonight. Guy sucks. Um, but uh, uh, definitely. We're wearing an A tonight. Woo. 
Ooh, big, big, big yeah, step for the Manitoba okay. man. Um, so if you want to check that out as well, uh, there's that and lots of other content over at Top Line. Uh, you can always find myself and Brady also on Twitter at Liz Hood at NHL Chunky. Uh, we're always there to to interact with everyone and probably poke some fun at you as well. So thank you again for joining. <laughs> uh, we will see you on Saturday. Have a good rest of your night. Have your good day if you're listening to this tomorrow morning. And we will see you for Game Five against the Oilers. Have a good night, everybody.